Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information and advisory services provider for emerging market executives. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with proprietary research, analytical tools, and data that help power their emerging market business strategies. The focus of today's podcast is a discussion of FSG's outlook for global economics in 2015. My name is Richard Leggett, and I'm the CEO of Frontier Strategy Group. I'm joined today in studio by Lauren Goodwin, FSG's lead global economics analyst. As a reminder, this research and all of our content is available via our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com or via your FSG iPad application. Lauren, welcome. Thank you. I'm very excited because this is our first global outlook. And I, I thought we could just start by talking about the purpose of the report and how you think our clients should use it. Sure. Well, the, the report was born because the global disruptors that we identified last year, both in terms of our regions and with our events to watch report, have more or less become the norm for the global economic environment. And, and we've been hearing a lot of I give up on 2015. And so we thought that there's a real need to think about some of these global economic trends in a way that the emerging markets executive, and in particular, the head of international can think about these issues and be a little bit more specific in the ways to to attack them in, on a global scale. Yeah, there's so many cross currents happening in the world that I think this makes total sense to bring it all together in a, uh, in a cohesive and unified view with actionable um, takeaways. So let's hop right into it. The report focuses as a headline on slower emerging markets growth relative to the developed markets. But I do see that uh, we're still looking at emerging markets growing by 5%, which is much faster than any other, other developed markets. Considering how the Eurozone and Japan are growing so slowly, what's your view of this growth of emerging markets in terms of the attractiveness vis-a-vis these more developed markets? Sure. You've hit on exactly the right question, which is that emerging markets are are growing by 5% on a weighted average basis, which is 2.6% faster than developed markets. So you're still looking at a significant growth advantage. But there's a couple of things that make that look a little bit worse than the emerging markets case, so to speak, has been for the past decade or so. The first is that that's less faster um, in in terms of the growth differential between emerging and developed markets. Um, For example, during the financial crisis, that difference was about 6.5%. And on the other side, that faster growth sometimes doesn't match up with the other considerations that executives are are thinking about. So a market might be growing 3, 4, 5% faster than, than Europe, for example, but it's a much smaller market. Or maybe there's more political risk that could upset that market or its economic performance to the downside. And so we we still think that emerging markets are the way to put together a, a smart and diversified portfolio, but the way that executives need to think about that is a little bit more challenging because that risk-reward payoff has, has changed a little bit. Is the growth spread narrowing because emerging markets are slowing down, or is the growth spread narrowing because the developed markets are accelerating? It's a little bit of both, but the biggest difference is that emerging markets are slowing down. And so if you think about just across the top line of emerging markets being the BRICS, we're seeing our Brazil analyst is revising Brazilian growth down right now from 0.2% to negative 1%. It's a recession. Exactly. Russia is obviously in recession and China is still growing by 7%, but that's slower than it's grown in the past decade or so. And so it, it is that emerging markets are slowing. But emerging markets are still the place to be selectively if you want uh, above average growth. Exactly. And so the, the real question is, if we, if we think about 2015 and your opening comment about uh, already, and we're only in the early part of the year, people 
giving up to some extent or throwing their hands up, as you said. What makes 2015 particularly difficult? Is this is this a transition year? Is it uh, just a year where it just feels the most painful? Like what, what's happening here? Why is it so difficult? There's always volatility in the in the global economic environment. I, I hate using that word volatility for precisely that reason. It's always just a matter of is there more or less this year and what that looks like. What we're seeing in 2015 is that the, the drivers of the global economic environment that we see right now are, first of all, pervasive. They impact every country and also are very complicated. Um, so to nail that down a, a little bit more specifically, the drivers that the report talks about are um, low energy prices, obviously have a very different impact for importing markets compared to exporting markets. We also are seeing a very strong dollar relative to essentially any other currency out there and abundant capital. Companies can rely on a pretty dependent source of capital flows from developed markets and at very low interest rates, which which has major implications for emerging markets. So it's not just that there is volatility, there will always be volatility, but that the, the, the drivers of that volatility are so complicated and so pervasive. I want to talk in a moment because some of those drivers create, you know, winners and are very positive and some of them are, are negative. So I want to kind of have the winners, losers discussion in a moment. But before I do that, I did want to just talk about a couple of those drivers. So let's start with energy for a second. We had talked about lower energy prices all the way back into our 2013 report around events to watch. Clearly, this is now widely accepted that energy prices have fallen. And in fact, the, the discourse now and the debate um, in the mainstream media seems to be, are we going to see a, a spike back up in energy prices? So just to kind of uh, clarify, what is the FSG view on energy prices? Our view is that the, the supply and demand fundamentals of energy suggest that demand won't pick up to keep up with supply until about 2017. And so just in terms of, of price view, we are not seeing prices picking up substantially for the next at least three years. Even as capacity comes offline? Even as capacity comes offline. I guess a, a good way to talk about this would be to think about both the supply and the demand factors. So on the demand side of energy markets, this global slowdown that we're talking about is a big part of that. You have Europe um, stagnant, China slowing. These are huge demanders of those energy products. And so the fact that they demand less is important for energy markets. But the supply situation that we're seeing... There's, of course, OPEC politics and lots of things to consider in how that's happening. But even as supply is coming offline, we see technology being, first and foremost, shale being a very disruptive and important part of, of the, the energy supply, but also more efficient supply coming offline. So, for example, you, you see a lot of conversation right now around energy analysts watching rig counts and, and watching storage. And even as rig counts are falling pretty quickly, what we're seeing is that supply is still picking Picking up. And, and, and so what's happening is that the less efficient and more expensive energy projects, whether it be um, just inefficient rigs or some of the exploration, such as the oil sands, which, which are just less efficient, are the things coming offline being paused for now, while the cheaper supplies and the more efficient supplies are still very much online. Okay, so oil price range for the year? We're looking at 50 to $55 a barrel this year. Stable, or we might see some short-term spikes based on speculation, supply disruptions, those kind of things? 
I think that there there's lots of opportunity for short-term spikes is what we call a, a W-shaped recovery where you kind of go up and down and up and down because the market just does not know what this new equilibrium will be. Shale is a new type of technology that can bring energy online in 30 to 60 days, which is just so different from the three to five years that it used to take oil rigs to come online that um, that 10 to $20 spike you typically see as a result of any type of supply disruption is less disruptive because of that ability of shale to, to make up the difference. Strong dollar stays strong. Yes. The strong dollar is driven mostly by um, the the U.S. recovery relative to, I don't want to say the rest of the world, but almost, and as as well as the interest rate expectations um, coming into uh, the fourth quarter of this year. So the Fed has been keeping interest rates very, very low throughout the financial crisis. They will remain low, but coming off of quantitative easing and then moving into an interest rates hike will keep capital flooding to the dollar and make it stronger. And that also ties into the abundant capital story. Yes, precisely. The implications of a strong dollar as opposed to ready capital for businesses are a little bit different, but they uh, all three of these drivers actually tie very closely together. All right. So we're, we're in a world that's more complicated. The year has some painful forces. Put your head of international on at a multinational and you're thinking about your global portfolio. You're not a portfolio manager in the sense that you can trade in and out of these markets easily. You've already made big commitments. So what do I do now? Where are my winning markets? Do I double down? Where do I find those pockets of opportunity? and where are my losers? Sure. Just at its top line view, Sub-Saharan Africa and Asia and developing Asia are still v- growing very, very quickly. But w- when it comes to making that decision as a head of international, we're really looking at where that growth comes from. Because, for example, um, in those countries, uh, you're seeing a lot of impact as a result of the low oil prices in Sub-Saharan Africa, for example. Still high growth, but pretty big revisions. That might not impact everybody. Same if you think about, about Russia. The, the economy is very much in recession. And of course, there are lots of of complicating factors with sanctions that might cancel out some of what I'm saying, but that you still see a very attractive middle income segment in that country. So we're really, um, when when we're having our conversations with clients, we're thinking not only about where that headline growth is, but but where it's coming from. What's the composition of that growth? And, And one of the things that we've seen more and more demand for as a result of this environment is putting a, a pin on on that decision through our custom and, and predictive analytics projects. And so trying to get a little bit more granular as opposed to just making bets in the obvious places is part of the name of the game in, in market prioritization. Yes. Okay. Um, let me let me dig into, um, and I'm, I'm conscious of time, but, but you also talk about three key challenges and, and then have a number of actions that executives can take. Obviously, we can't go through all of the uh, actions here, but I, I do want to dig into the challenges and maybe just highlights at a high level, maybe what the headlines are. So let's start with uh, the first challenge, which is really about the emerging market's ability to deliver stable you know, growth or, or growth that you can count on. Precisely. We're really encouraging our clients to prioritize rigorously their winning markets. So in most cases, this is talking about adjusting incremental investment plans to capture opportunity in markets that are able to take advantage of lower costs, whether it be because of lower energy prices or because the dollar is strong, capturing that opportunity um, compared to weekly priced local assets and local currency, as well as um, higher consumption growth, again, which, which could be because of a lower dollar or that higher headline growth. Okay. How about the second challenge? Competitive environment is shifting. 
Yes, we are are seeing um, as a result of the three main drivers of global economic growth that competitors in emerging markets, and, and I mean specifically emerging markets companies as opposed to other multinationals. Local competition. Yes, local competition is, is struggling in some cases as a result of a, a more difficult credit situation. As their currencies depreciate, sometimes local central banks need to raise rates, which is very difficult, um, not only for your competitors, but also your partners and your distributors. And so we're in encouraging our clients to invest in local strategic capabilities to be able to pinpoint those opportunities quickly when they arise, as well as consider local manufacturing, whether it's true manufacturing or just acquiring local assets that might that speed that process for them. And then a third challenge, which I think is an interesting one, is the changing customer preference. Talk about that one. The changing consumer preferences, we, we've been getting, for example, a lot of questions about pricing um, and try, trying to think about with, with all that's going on and, and my consumers are struggling, do I need to lower my prices? And, and what we're recommending actually is that companies first take a look at their customer segmentation because it would be silly to say that because the dollar is strong, you can raise local currency prices, for example. You can't um, in, in a lot of these markets. But there might be segments for which there is uh, income available and, and demand for for goods. And so we're urging our clients to consider that customer segmentation first and then identify from those segments where margin can be increased, whether it's by taking advantage of lowering costs or um, in some cases, maybe perhaps raising prices and then uh, challenging those pricing strategies and marketing strategies to attack those segments based on that that determination. Great. Anything else you want to share, Lauren, that uh, we want to highlight? The report is, I think, pretty extensive. It covers not only these challenges and, and some of the disruptors that we, we touched on in the beginning, but it also goes region by region, which I think is quite helpful. Any other kind of closing thoughts? I'm conscious of time. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. What I like about this report for clients is that it's pretty personalizable. We've been having a lot of great conversations where we focus on one thing that's really relevant for our clients' businesses. And so um, we're looking forward to doing more of that and, and encourage clients to take a look when they have a chance. That's great. And as a reminder, you can speak to Lauren directly or any member of the FSG Global Research Team at any time by scheduling time via your client relationship director. You can also access all of FSG's content, leading indicator data, and research on our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com. This concludes our podcast. Until next time, we wish you great outperformance across your emerging market portfolio.